very hard not to notice that there's something wrong with your rationality. And I would say that's actually, that was the most devastating part of having bipolar disorder to me is that you, you fundamentally lose trust with your own brain. It's taken a long time to get that trust back. Uh, but now, now I, I feel like I have a much better sensitivity to all of, all of the different mood states that I might have. Welcome to You Cured What? The podcast of reversing the irreversible. This is where you hear how real people are healing from conditions that most people think they're stuck with for life. I'm your host, Joe Kalb. If I had to give you some medical advice, I'd go to medical school and get a medical degree. Seriously, nothing in this podcast is medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute as such. Now, enjoy the You Cured What? conversation. I am giddy because today I have the privilege of interviewing one of the most insightful, clear-headed, and thoughtful people I've encountered online. She has a terrific story of incredibly improving her own mental health, and it has springboarded her to research and share information that has ultimately helped thousands of people improve their health. Thank you for coming on You Cured What? And welcome to the podcast, Amber O'Hearn. How are you doing today, Amber? I'm doing great. What a lovely introduction. Thank you so much for those kind words. Well, I mean it, and I, um, I've really appreciated your, um, your writing over these last few years as I've started to learn about um, some of these topics. And um, I guess I know you have... You got your start, I think, from a very personal um, health journey. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background just on uh, where you're coming from health-wise and, um, you know, maybe compared to how, how things are today? And, yeah, can you just give us a little bit of your um, health background? Sure. Well, I... I considered myself a pretty happy child and teenager, but by the time I was 20, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And after a few years of trying different antidepressants, it was switched to uh, treatment-resistant major depressive disorder. And so uh, I've been dealing with depression-like problems for a very long time that was over 25 years ago and um, so although a lot of the changes that I've made in my health have begun by concerns about my weight which is always very motivating because it's so it's so visible the health benefits that I have seen in my life have been the significant ones have been the ones that are less visible to an outsider, of course, more visible to people who know me that have to do with my own psychiatric state. That's really, um, yeah, that's interesting. And um, I think that's a common experience for people with um, who suffer from depression, just as far as it can be, um, yeah, it's not surface level. It's not clear to others. 
uh, looking in necessarily that you might be dealing with um, with something pretty difficult. Um, and you said um, it was fairly fairly early on in your adulthood that you were uh, diagnosed with uh, treatment-resistant depression. Is that correct? Yes. So I started experiencing um, both physical and emotional symptoms of depression, meaning uh, a lot of tiredness and motivation problems um, so that, you know, there are so many things in my life that I enjoy now and that I did before. And when you're depressed, even things that normally should be enjoyable stop being enjoyable and stop being motivating. So it has, it has a huge effect on your life, your ability to make any kind of progress in your personal goals or even just small things. Because if you just don't feel, if you're not getting joy, if you're not getting the motivation to do something, even though it should by all rights give you pleasure and motivation, and it's it's very difficult to do something, go through the motions when you're not getting any of that kind of emotional feedback from it. So that did start young. I was 20 when I was diagnosed, as I said. And at that point, I started taking antidepressants. Uh, Prozac was fairly new on the scene at that time, and I started taking it. And at the beginning, that seemed to really help. In fact, at the beginning... People say it takes a couple of weeks to see any effect from Prozac, but I felt like I was on psychedelic drugs the first day that I took Prozac. That's how um, intense it was. But a very, that, that lasted about a day and it very quickly dropped off. And the effectiveness of the drug also dropped off. I don't know exactly what span of time, but... It was pretty soon when, you know, I was experiencing depressive episodes again, and I continued to take antidepressants for years, for over a decade, even though it wasn't very effective for me. Depression just kept returning. And at a certain point, I got re-diagnosed from depression to a form of bipolar disorder and I'd really like to talk more about that, if you don't mind, because it's it's confusing that those two things could be confused with one another. Well, absolutely. I would uh, I would love to learn more about um, about the yeah bipolar disorder and um, how it compares and contrasts with uh, the major depressive disorder that um, you had been diagnosed with previously. Great. So there is a traditional kind of bipolar disorder that I don't have, uh, which is the the very stark contrast between you, you have mania and you have depression, and they both come out as very severe. So depression looks a lot like any other kind of depression, this lack of motivation and tiredness and suicidality, which I did have. And mania traditionally uh, it looks like you have, um, you know, elevated mood, <laughs> and then you also have um, you have rapid speech. So there's so many ideas coming out that it feels like it's hard to even get them all out at once, and you don't need to sleep. Um, some people with mania will stay up literally all night, um, high energy, 
and such extreme confidence that it it borders on and eventually can become delusions of grandeur and impulsivity. And with this traditional kind of manic depression, the what happens is that mania basically tops out with a psychotic break and you lose touch with reality. And that may happen before or after you've gotten to the point where you have done things that may have significantly uh, harm your life, such as quitting your job because you've got this great new idea that's going to solve all the world's problems and make you rich or, or other, you know, really impulsive, crazy, quote unquote, ideas. Um, with bipolar 2, which is what I was diagnosed with and what I experienced, you never quite reach mania. So you have all of those characteristics like elevated mood and excitedness, um, higher libido. It's, it's actually awesome. It feels great, especially if you have been experiencing depression in the past. It feels like suddenly, oh, what a relief. I'm not depressed. Not only am I not depressed, but I finally feel good. Something, something has happened and I feel good and maybe I'm getting over this. But the problem with that in bipolar disorder even if you don't go into this uh, terrible end scene of mania, um, it, what happens is it it's followed by a crash. And so you have these cycles of mood switching where you're going back and forth between different mood states. And if the other thing about bipolar disorder is that it can be progressive. So you might start off with just a lot of depression and then these periods where you where you've got what really feels good and like a relief from depression but it may progress to feelings called mixed states where you, you may be up energy wise you might have that insomnia but it's not accompanied by a, a pleasant feeling it's a, it's now anxiety or irritability and then the cycles can start getting faster and faster and some people have compared it to, um, to seizures in epilepsy, which is really interesting from a pharmacological point of view. <laughs> um, so, so that's what was happening to me. I started having these little hypomanias and, um, and then I started progressing into feelings that I'd never really experienced before. Like I said, I, I grew up pretty happy and I suddenly was feeling these things like anxiety and extreme irritability, which I felt just weren't like me, but, but there they were happening to me all the time. And it was affecting my family, affecting all of my relationships. And on top of the depression, <laughs> just, you know, going from one bad thing to another bad thing. It, it was really <laughs> depressing <laughs> and none of the meds were helping. But, you know, when I did get that re-diagnosis, I was initially really excited. Um, it sounds um, maybe inappropriate to be excited about getting a new diagnosis that is in many ways more serious than the initial diagnosis in terms of uh, rates of suicide or, um, you know, possibilities of uh, outcomes. But what I was excited about was I thought maybe the reason that all this time I haven't been able to cure my depression is because they, they misdiagnosed it and now I'll get the right treatment and I'll get the right drugs and things will be better from here on in. But that isn't actually what happened uh, because the drugs were 
worse than the disease in my experience. Um, I tried a variety of them and it, it's long in the past now. It, it's been 10 years, so I don't have very sharp memories of it, but I can remember one of them, one of them gave me um, word recall problems. So I felt like I was becoming, you know, having dementia or something because it, just the simplest words, I couldn't, couldn't recall them to, to make a sentence. And I'm a very verbal person. You know, I'm not always the most perfectly articulate person, but I consider myself pretty articulate and I like to write and I like to speak and I have a good vocabulary and I couldn't even access some of the simplest terms sometimes. And so that was kind of scary. And then I had another one where it was, it just basically put me to sleep. I was, I was, I went from sleeping from depression to sleeping because I just could barely open my eyes. Obviously that one, they didn't keep me on for very long. And there was another one that um, gave me this, this sensation. They're called, uh, they're called brain jacks, I think is what people call them on the internet. It's like this feeling like there's a shot going down the back of your head periodically, which is, you know, it's not that debilitating, but it's kind of disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, that uh, sounds scary. Uh, zapping your brain doesn't necessarily uh, bring a lot of comforting feelings to mind. And then, of course, the, the big problem was that they weren't solving the problem. So I, it was just like adding all these things on top of the problem that I already had. And it, the prognosis just didn't really feel very good. I felt like my life was in shambles. Wow. Well, um, you know, when you were talking about those uh, cycles that you would go through um, where, you know, there could be, I know in uh, type two, you said it wasn't like the full on mania, but there would be some like, um, you know, good stretches followed by like um, a major crash and very much a um, depressive time. How long were those uh how long did those cycles typically last? You know, I don't remember exactly, but my sensation is that at first they would last maybe several days, uh, which isn't all that long in terms of a traditional bipolar schedule where manias can last months. Um, but, but for me, it was, it was such a fantastic relief. Um, but then, as I said, the, the cycle started getting um, shorter. And so by the, by the time 2008 came along, which was, I guess, the, the peak of it before I happily stumbled upon a solution, uh, I would say that uh, they were changing within the course of a day. Wow. Wow. Okay. And that's, that um, had to be very disconcerting when you, um, when you would just be able to kind of step back from yourself and see these changes happening within you, um, I have to think that was a, uh, a very troubling thing to notice. Yes, well, exactly. Uh, if you have even just a small modicum of self-awareness, you start to see that you're, the person who you think that you are is not what's happening to you and that you have this kind of lack of control and, and not only that, um, 
moods affect your your whole memory and your outlook. I like to compare it to state-dependent learning. So there's this concept in psychology. Um, <laughs> the, the, the joke about it is that if you if you are studying, if you're getting high while studying, you should get high for the test because the, the concept is whatever it is your 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 brain state is while you're learning something, that's where you will best remember it. Um, but if you think about what a mood is, it it really is a brain state. It's a state of of chemicals, um, neurotransmitters, and such that are flooding your brain with a certain kind of arousal or depression state. And your memories actually, I believe, uh, respond to this in, in such a way that, um, and, and I think everyone experiences this. So, so if you're having a spat with your lover and you become angry, all of a sudden, all of your memory about your previous interactions is reflecting this anger state. And so you could quite you know, truthfully to yourself, say, you always do this. And it seems like it's true, but it's not really fair. And of course, it's not true. It's just that suddenly all the things that you remember are things that are connected with every previous time that you've been angry. <laughs> and so, so when, you, when you're having this, when you're having bipolar disorder, it's like that on steroids because um, every, each state, so you can think of depression as a kind of vicious cycle where um, you're feeling bad, demotivated, and like nothing's worth doing. And the more experiences you have when you're in that mood, the more memories you form, the more sort of lines of thinking that get more and more developed every time you revisit them, such that after, after a few years of repeated depressive episodes, your thoughts very quickly go to life is just not worth living. But if you're if you're having different states, you can and you see yourself jump from life is not worth living to oh my god I've got the best idea. <laughs> then it's very hard not to notice that there's something wrong with your rationality. And I would say that's actually that was the most devastating part of having bipolar disorder to me is that you you fundamentally lose trust with your own brain because you know that your own decisions and your own attitudes are subject to change, uh, not at your bidding. And so it becomes confusing and um, just very distressing. Yeah, it seems like that would be very distressing. You, It feels like you wouldn't have any control over your own life. And I think that's a lot of times, um, you know, as humans, I feel like that's when we feel, I guess, the worst or the most helpless is if we just feel like there's nothing we can do about this. It's out of our control. Um, yeah, that distressing is, I'm sure, uh, from your experience, an understatement. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, too, um, you mentioned early on that, um, you know, when you did make uh, make some changes to uh, try to improve your health, part of it was, um, you know, trying to uh, improve, you know, trying to lose weight, trying to, uh, I guess, improve body composition. 
So um, throughout this time that you were um, dealing with uh, major depression, treatment-resistant depression, and then ultimately bipolar type 2, um, what was happening with, uh, you know, with your body physically? You know, the really interesting thing is that when I look back on it, and I didn't see this at the time, but when I look back on it, my, my overweight was often, very often concordant with my, my distressed mood. So, um, for one thing, um, they might both be tied to antidepressant use, actually, but um, putting cause aside, the times that were worse, I tended to be also gaining weight. So when I was first diagnosed with a depression, for example, I also had a rapid weight gain that um, I, I decided was due to this or that other factor. And um, when I first started feeling better, um, that was when I first went on a low-carb diet and lost some weight. That also positively impacted my mood, but it wasn't enough to prevent this progression from happening, and it didn't completely put the depression to bed, uh, obviously, because it, it, it kept blowing up. Um, and then when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder is also a period where I was having more weight gain such that by the end of 2008, I was the highest weight I had ever been. Um, it was, I, the last time I weighed myself, it was over 195 pounds, which is quite a bit for someone who's five, six. And um, I'm sure it went over that, but I didn't have the heart to look. Wow. And um, this was at the time when um, you weighed in at, you know, at the highest weight that you um, weighed in at, uh, were you you were eating a low carb low carbohydrate diet at the time? Is that correct? I was. So this was also really frustrating because I had I had what I had thought at the time I would have called it solved. I solved my weight problem, which back in you know 1997 when I discovered a low-carb diet and I went from struggling with um, struggling with my weight and I, I had been eating a high-carb vegetarian diet at the time to losing weight effortlessly and feeling better and happier than I had been in a long time and I continued that diet and um, had been learning about it. I, by the time that all of this bipolar stuff came on, I, I had been reading papers about many different beneficial aspects for the brain and the rest of the body from a ketogenic low-carb diet. And so it, it, was, it just didn't make any sense to me at all that I could be doing from what I felt was everything right, you know, and eating right. lots of vegetables, and just eating what I thought was a really healthy diet and yet gaining weight over time sort of slowly. Uh, some of the periods of weight gain were associated with pregnancies. I had had two children by that time and each time I gained a lot of weight. And in fact, uh, 
I didn't stay low carb during those pregnancies. I found it extremely difficult. The cravings were incredible. It was something like my body wanted to gain fat for some reason, which is perfectly <laughs> understandable. Um, but then, but then I wasn't losing all the way back to where I had been before, and and gradually over time gaining more weight. Which, from you know, from just a self-image perspective is not very happy. Um, so there was frustration with that, but there was also this frustration of not being able to figure it out. Right. I, I can imagine. And yeah, it had to be uh, frustrating just as you said, you know, I, I know how you are now. I assume you were then you were very much, or you very much now are a researcher. You're diving into literature and, um, it seems like you were seeing all of these uh, benefits. You were reading about them, and everything was clicking on paper. And it had kind of clicked for you in the past, personally. But then, um, it seems like it it stopped working for you. And I, I have to uh, have to think that would be very frustrating. Um, so, you know. The, the low carb diet is not not getting the job done for you anymore um, and you know you're you're dealing with um, you know not only weight gain you're also dealing with uh, these mental health issues and with bipolar type 2 um, what's uh, what was kind of the next big step um, as far as your your health journey? So I don't remember the exact day or what I was looking for, but one day in the end of 2008, I came across a forum where people were eating only meat and no plants. So it was, it was low carb, but it was kind of beyond low carb. The forum was called Zeroing In on Health. It doesn't exist anymore, although there's there's a a Facebook version with the same many of the same people, and I, I looked at all these stories of people who had a, a history in many ways similar to mine. Of course, my mind was solely on the weight. I wasn't thinking about this as something to do for my bipolar disorder because my model of what causes psychiatric disease had nothing to do with diet. <laughs> Even though I could sometimes tell that my mood would be better, the more um, compliant I was, like the more restrictive of carbs. Uh, it's not that I was all over the place with the carbs, but I felt like the, the better I was holding to my diet, it had some effect, but whatsoever. But I was trying to solve my weight problem. I, I was trying everything. I mean, <laughs> It's embarrassing how many different stupid products that I bought, different supplements. Or I thought, oh, maybe I'm just deficient in this thing, or maybe I just need some, I don't know, creatine before my workout. I, I tried everything that I could find. Um, so, so some of these people had this similar background where they were, they had been on a low carb diet, and either they had experienced some regain, or they just never had successfully gotten all the way to the weight that they felt that they should be at. And many of them had complete breakthrough success with this 
plant-free, meat-only diet. And so I thought, well, heck, I can try that. <laughs> my, my whole idea was I'm going to try this for a short time. Eventually, I decided I was going to try it for exactly three weeks and just see what, what would happen. And I planned it out so it would end on my birthday because I was going to make a low-carb birthday cake like I usually did. And, um, and then just evaluate from there. And, and in my mind, I thought I could use this as a tool to lose weight. And then my, my low carb diet will probably be good enough to keep me at that weight that I want. And if I have to, you know, do a couple of these stints every once in a while to get rid of the plants and take off the weight, then I'll just do that. So, so it was really this traditional going on a diet mentality that I approached this with. Um, but what happened, <laughs> um, so this was January in, in 2009. And I, so I, I planned it all out. Um, it took a lot of resolution in my mind. It, it took me a long time to, to really get myself to the point of commitment. I don't know why it was so hard. I think plants were just such a huge part of my diet where I just, I eat salads every day. I would eat cabbage and all kinds of low carb plants. And it was just, I enjoyed them and the steak was okay, but I wasn't really looking forward to that aspect of it, to be honest. Um, and within a couple of weeks, um, well, I had been, I started losing weight very rapidly, a pound every other day. It was incredible, but my mood was also really up and you might attribute that to successfully losing weight after all this time, right? That could definitely have been a big part of it. So I didn't really think anything of it right. except that, yeah, I felt really good and but by the time a, a couple of weeks had passed, it was nearing the end of this planned out three-week trial, it just felt not just, I'm so happy that these goals are coming to pass, but it felt really good and not in a hypomanic way, like not so excited that I'm jumping up and down and I can't stop talking about something, but just a relaxed kind of good. And I, I mentioned it to my husband, and he said, he became very serious. He stopped what he was doing and, and you know, looked me straight on in the face and said, I haven't really known how to bring this up, but your mood seems more stable than I can remember it for the whole of our marriage. And we've been married for like eight years at that point. Wow. Um, and so, so that was my first clue that there was something going on beyond what it seemed like. I, I still didn't want to jump to any conclusions. I mean, when you have a disease that, that can take you up and down for weeks at a time, you're not going to necessarily think that something profound has happened with that condition in the course of just a few weeks. But as, as it turned out, well, I had a really funny turn of affairs at that point because right after, so the birthday came and I had no interest in getting out of that flow. 
So I didn't make that birthday cake. I had some meat <laughs> for my birthday. <laughs> and and I was just whole hog going on this. Um, but then I found out I was pregnant again, which was wonderful. Um, and I was determined I was going to stay on this zero carb. We called it zero carb. I, I don't use that term these days very much, but because it's confusing because things like, you know, olive oil is zero carb, but it's not plant-free and eggs have a little bit of carb in them, but they're perfectly fine. So I call it a carnivore diet now, but anyway, um, I wanted to stay on this zero carb carnivore diet throughout the pregnancy. And I can remember one day sitting on the couch and thinking about carbs and just kind of, you know, the phrase white knuckling because <laughs> you're like holding your fist. And <laughs> I felt like that. And after two days of that, I just threw it. <laughs> And I went down to the nearest restaurant and I ordered two entrees with like quiche and cornbread and I just went a little crazy. Um, and I think I think that's just due to a big insulin surge that happens in that first trimester of pregnancy. But okay. over the course of the pregnancy, I, I gradually titrated the carbs back down, got it under control and, and was even eating many zero carb days by the time it ended. But but one of the things that happened, so I was pregnant, right? And so I had to stop all my psychiatric medication because it's not known to be safe. So, so I was off meds. And after the baby was born, I pretty much immediately within a few days went right back onto the plant-free meat-only diet. And... I just never needed meds again. So that's, that's, you know. That's nearly (laughs) 11 years, right? Yeah, yeah. My baby's going to turn 11 (laughs) this fall. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So after, you know, you said it was just a few weeks in that uh, your husband you know, called out your um, your mood stability. Is that right? Yes, he had noticed yes. it? And then, yeah. wow. And then, uh, so since then, in, uh, and then you went off, went off your psychiatric uh, medications for, for the pregnancy and just never went back on them. So you haven't been on them for over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I've experienced, you know, emotions. I've had some sad times. I went through a divorce that was really rough and other things have happened. Um, but it's never been anything like the kind of depression that I experienced before that time. And, and I've never had <laughs> any more hints of mania uh, either. So, I feel incredibly lucky on on many counts. One is, you know, this whole thing was an accident. (laughs) I I had no intention or or idea in my mind that it could have any effect on my mood. And then the the coincidence of having to go off my meds, I think is really important too, because I would never, you know, encourage somebody to 
stop taking bipolar medication, it seems like the stupidest move that anybody could ever do, no matter how good you're feeling, right? Um, but so how would I ever have discovered that I didn't need them without that? Not to mention the fact that, that you know, it could have been actually worsening my condition itself. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, this is just, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be mind boggling for a lot of people hearing this, that um, if I'm understanding this right, the the primary change here was just your diet. And in this case, um, you, know, you were coming from what, um, you know, what a lot of people would already consider to be a healthy diet with a low carbohydrate diet. Um, but you, um, you removed plants. And I think a lot of people, even with a low carbohydrate diet, a lot of people look at that as, um, well, yeah, you can get away with having, having some like steak and butter and, you know, you can get away with having some of those, uh, more indulgent foods. Uh, but they might think of it as really, it's all about that, like that salad that you're eating, those greens, uh, those are kind of the healthy part. But you sort of, you know, you flip that and you cut the plants out and saw just a remarkable, remarkable um, change. Yeah, you know, <laughs> nobody was more surprised than I was. Um, <laughs> I, at that point, I didn't think meat was bad for you. I had already been eating meat in my low-carb diet, but it, it, to me, it wasn't the... It wasn't the, most, the part that I thought was the, the benefit. I know, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, sure, you're going on a low-carb diet and you're cutting out all those processed foods. Of course, it's going to be healthy. And I do think a lot of people really look at that and say, well, yeah, it's healthier for you because you're eating a lot of vegetables. And what I had to come to terms with was that <laughs> – there is something about those healthy vegetables that wasn't doing. At this point in the interview, we had some brief technical difficulties, so the conversation is about to jump ahead approximately 30 seconds. So at a certain point, you, you can't help but conclude that the, the benefit either had to have come from something in the plants was causing damage or something about eating a lot of meat because I was already eating some meat, but obviously if you take out everything else, your, your quantity is going to go up is creating benefit or some combination of the two. And that's a very counterintuitive in this kind of educational climate idea to come to because vegetables are basically the epitome of the health food. If, if you go onto any website or do a web search for healthy food, what you're going to see is a picture of a salad. <laughs> right, right. So and maybe an that, avocado. Yeah. <laughs> how could that possibly be anything but the best food that you could eat? So, and I, I was no, no different in having that bias. So it took me, but, but I had the personal experience that I knew that that was, 
That was the major difference. And it wasn't even about ketosis. So many people have said to me, oh, well, yeah, if you're, if you're going lower carbs, then you're going to be in deeper ketosis. But actually, the reverse is very often true for people who go on this diet because um, they go from having, say, a small piece of meat and a salad, which is mostly fiber, say, and a lot of fat on top of it for the dressing to a much higher protein ratio and, and less fat. And typically, typically people on a carnivore diet have ketones that are around the 1.0 normal range if they do a, a, a blood prick test, whereas people on a, a low-carb keto diet might have 2.0. So, so it definitely wasn't just a higher ketosis. I, I really had to consider that, that plants um, may not be, you know, just born to, to provide me health. And, and that's when I started looking into research. For example, there was a brilliant talk given by Dr. Georgia Ede back in 2012, and I saw a video of it, and it really put a lot of light bulbs off in my head where she talked about how, well, of course, plants need to live and need to pass on their genes to the next generation. And, and if they are just, they can't run away. And if they're just being eaten by all these herbivores and insects, um, they're, they're just not going to make it to the next generation without some kind of defense weapon. And although there are some physical things like thorns, for example, and, and hard shells, what the major way that plants protect themselves is by creating toxins that that harm their predators. And although those toxins are generally, well, I was gonna say they're generally not toxic to humans or to a large animal. Actually they are, because think about how many plants are not poisonous. The number is very, very small. So already we've got this tiny little amount of the ones that we can tolerate. But the other thing is that those, those toxins may not directly kill us or harm us to the extent that they would harm a much smaller animal like an insect. But they, because the toxins work at the cellular level and uh, a large multicellular organism is not fundamentally biologically different from small ones, it can still have uh, detrimental effects on, for example, um, barriers in, in the intestine that prevent other toxins from getting in. That's one of the main theories about why a carnivore diet might help people like me. Well, that is really interesting. And um, I know that was when I first heard about the carnivore diet, um, you know, it, it did seem very strange to me. Like, wait, you, you cut out all these foods that are considered the healthiest uh, foods. You cut out vegetables and, um, and you get healthier like that. Um, that didn't sound right, but does not compute. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But you know, then I've heard uh, people talk about well, how many plants um, out in the wild? If you just go up to a random plant, like chances are it's going to be toxic to you. And in fact, most of uh, the plants, even that we um, have traditionally eaten as humans, they've um, often been prepared in a very specific way to, um, to at least somewhat detoxify them. So, Absolutely. Um, 
that's just uh it's something that um because we get you know a lot of us were inundated with like the US food pyramid or um with just the idea that hey you know like you said you you go to a search engine online type in healthy food you're going to see a bunch of vegetables you're going to see a bunch of salads so um to consider that there might be harm done by these foods um yeah, that, that had to be a shock to you even experiencing it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then, you know, from that point, uh, so I, I came to this acceptance, well, maybe for me, plants are, are not beneficial uh, in that way, or they're, they're harmful, but, but aren't I missing out on all these other important things that we're told are the reason that plants need to be the basis of your diet. So things like vitamins, for example. And so then I, I went into this whole other rabbit hole, deep dive, trying to figure out, is this something that's sustainable? Because I, I felt a little bit trapped. You know, I can't go back to eating plants, but now what am I going to do? <laughs> right. and, and then, but it turned out, um, at least I was able to satisfy my own, for, for my own purposes, I came to the conclusion that the, the evidence that, that was given for plants being uniquely beneficial in terms of vitamins, for example, is, is actually not true at all. And um, meat, we tend to think of as protein, and that's all it is. Uh, just it's just a big hunk of protein. So you, you see this if you imagine this plate in your mind and it has pieces of meat on it and then some vegetables and maybe salad. What you're seeing, um, if you're if you've been brought up the way I have, is you're seeing a piece of protein and vitamins and minerals separate. Right. Yeah. But but of course that's not true at all either. There there are many vitamins and minerals in meat. Um, especially in organ meats, but even in just your, your humble piece of roast chuck is going to have not only uh, an array of vitamins and minerals um, that rival some plants at least, but the, they have complete amino acids and um, other uh, amino acids that maybe are not considered essential because your, your body can make them out of other amino acids, but when they're already preformed, they can actually be quite beneficial. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is fascinating that, um, yeah, what we think of as kind of being a one-trick pony, oh, yeah, you need protein, like, yeah, throw some meat on there, actually can have quite an abundance of um, vitamins, minerals, nutrients. Um, It's, you know, often... Uh, a very, very nutrient-dense food. And that's especially true if you if you take into account all the other animal source foods besides your just sort of stereotypical piece of steak. So you, you talk about eggs and all, all the wonderful things in an egg yolk and cheese. If you're, if you're able to eat dairy, that can be an excellent source of different minerals and vitamins that that like, for example, vitamin K and calcium, and then there's seafood and, and um, so oysters are an incredible source of zinc. So if you start to see the world beyond the steak, 
when you're looking, talking about animal source foods, even before you get into things that our culture has started to shun, like, uh, say, liver or, or thymus, like probably most of the audience hasn't heard of thymus, but it's just another organ. Um, even if you don't delve into those more uncommon these days parts, there, there's a huge variety of things that you can eat that still qualifies as a plant-free diet. Um, I don't feel deprived whatsoever. Well, that is, um, that is really interesting because I know when I talk to people, I don't eat a full-on um, carnivorous diet, but I eat, um, you know, I eat mostly animal products, at least, you know, currently um, that's how I'm eating. And I, I think a lot of people hear that and they, you know, they think it's very restrictive. I try to tell them that it's not, but, you know, there is a wide variety of um, of foods that you can eat from the animal kingdom. Um, I'm curious what, you know, in, in your version of the carnivore diet, and, you know, this has been a diet that's been tremendously effective for you. Um, you know, what have some of the, um, what is your, your diet typically like? Are there certain foods you like to focus on or, um, you know, do you just go wild and whatever um, and just uh, have anything from across the animal kingdom? It's a funny question because I've been doing this so long that I, I sort of will go in and out of phases of different things. So, you know, if you asked me that today, you might get a very different answer from if you asked me five months ago. But, you know, I, I do think that beef um, is probably still my staple, um, but it could be hamburger, it could be uh, roast beef. It doesn't have to always be <laughs> ribeye, much as I like a ribeye. Uh, <laughs> beef ribs are, are just one of my absolute favorite things to eat. But I also love pork. I love pork belly. Uh, everyone, mostly everyone seems to love bacon. I have found that I, I've become very sensitive to salt. And so I find bacon a little bit over salty, especially, you know, if you have bacon and it's you're, you're alternating bites with bacon in a salad, then the salt kind of distributes. But if you're just eating a plate of bacon, that's really intense. But <laughs> and I don't like that so much. But I, but I really do love pork belly that hasn't been cured. Um, I do like eggs. Um, I, there was one point where I was really on a huge brain kick. <laughs> it took me a long time before I even tried it uh, and could find a source where I could buy it. It turns out that the Middle Eastern community uses brain a lot. So if you're looking for that, go to a halal shop. Um, I got really into that for a while. Um, but I, I wouldn't consider it a staple these days. I love oysters. It's just kind of a rare treat. Um, I like chicken pies. I like butter. <laughs> I oh, like salmon. Okay. Mackerel. Well, yeah, I mean that um yeah, you're you're truly um I guess crossing the board on um on the animal kingdom there and you're you know, you're hitting on everything from dairy to eggs to seafood to red meat to white meat. Um so that's 
that's a lot of variety right there. And, um, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's done well for you. I'm curious, um, you know, with the, the dramatic mental health improvements, um, I know r- right off the bat you were noticing uh, big, uh, big weight loss from uh, the carnivore diet. Um, what has what has the effect been on your body composition um, over the long term? You know, over these eleven years from uh, from following this diet. Well, it's run the gamut. Uh, for a long time, uh, I, I had lost very steadily, had a few stalls, and then ultimately got to what I believed was my perfect weight by about 2014, uh, which for me is around 130 pounds. Um, and I stayed like that for a long time. Recently, I have had weight gain, and um, I haven't completely gotten to the bottom of it because my diet hasn't really changed, but I think it had to do with a cycle of antibiotics and infections. The one thing that happened to me when I first went on a low-carb or sorry, a carnivore diet is I stopped getting sick, and <laughs> I can't, oh. <laughs> it, it's just, I, I don't mention this very often because it just sounds it sounds to me even crazier than curing bipolar, but, and I say cure lightly or because I wouldn't say I'm cured. I'm really in remission is what I would say. Okay. But I, for the first eight years on carnivore, I didn't have so much of a cold. I, wow. I had no viral infections. Um, I, I used to have a cold sore that would appear on my lips once or twice a year and that stopped happening. And, I, I felt invincible, um, but of course I'm not. And um, in 2017, I got a sinus infection, and I was really mad uh, because <laughs> the sinus infection is not really that big a deal. I mean, I probably had a sinus infection every year for all of my life up until until 2009. Um, but it, I was really mad because it broke this perfect streak and I didn't know why I didn't know what happened and I took antibiotics for it and then I had another one later that same year Um, and then in 2018 um, things really uh, got crazy because I got food poisoning twice I had um, first campylobacter and then I had salmonella a really terrible brutal salmonella infection that had me in bed um, incoherent for over a week before I started sort of normal convalescence. Um, And both of those came with batches of antibiotics. And after, and I had started gaining weight. And after the salmonella infection, I started rapidly gaining weight um, such that by the time, you know, I, I organized a conference, a carnivore conference, and uh, we had it happened in 2019. We we're going to have one this year, but obviously some things kind of fell through. <laughs> um, but it, so this moment I got up on stage to announce the first speaker for this conference that was the, the most amazing thing that I had ever accomplished in my life. And I was feeling embarrassed because I was 20 pounds overweight from where I had been a couple years before. And 
and I still haven't really gotten to the bottom of that. And I have had subsequent infections. And so I really have, um, I think I really have a, a gut problem that is immunological that I haven't gotten to the bottom of as of yet. And I'm still working on it. So it's kind of a, a bit of a anticlimax this story because I was in the best health of my entire life and then I got hit with this um, sort of cycle of antibiotics and infection that seemed to feed off each other and so now I get to learn something new I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Um, an opportunity. Um, yeah, opportunity. I can honestly say though that my mood you know, is still I get kind of down about it sometimes because I'm it's it's so frustrating, but I have never lost ground in terms of that psychiatric component. I'm so appreciative of that every single day because I, I just never want to go back to that way of living. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's phenomenal, and um, you know, I think your your track record shows that. You know, I think you will get to the bottom of um, of whatever is plaguing you, and you know whether it's um, an immune uh, something with your immune system or your um, you know with your gut or from the antibiotics. Um, yeah, they they don't know what's coming for them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence. But you know, maybe. Maybe it'll be a really um, deeper understanding that I develop because, as I said, I, I don't really feel like I've cured things. I feel like I've made a, a really bizarre workaround, a wonderful workaround that, that I'm grateful to have stumbled upon. But wouldn't it be nice if if I found some underlying issue that I'm able to address that that makes all of this just a bonus instead of a necessary thing? That's that would be really the holy grail. Yeah, that would be be really terrific. Um, And, you know, I I should have um, asked about this earlier, but, um, you know, is there, I know you went on the, you went on a carnivorous diet um, in 2009, and that, you know, the timing of that did correspond with, um, you know, drastic improvements in in mental health and um, and also ultimately in body composition and uh, just overall it seems like in subjective feeling um, is there anything else that you changed you know around the same time or anything else um, beyond the carnivore diet that um, you could ascribe those health improvements to well, I did mention that I went off of the antidepressants, and that that could potentially have been part of the problem. There's definitely a group, or not a group, but there are different researchers who think that antidepressants are particularly bad for people with bipolar disorder. Of course, I wasn't on an antidepressant at that time. I was on bipolar meds, but but you know, who knows what these things are doing while they're trying to help us? Um, and then. I did have a pregnancy that year, so maybe some kind of hormonal trigger could have contributed. 
but you know, when you, when you have suffered for, at that point, it was 16 years since my diagnosis. And I, you just know that, that something is different. You can, you can feel it, you know, um, people talk about diseases like autoimmune diseases, for example, many of them have this pattern like bipolar where they get better for a while and they might get worse and then they get better and then they get worse. So if you have, a, uh, if you do an intervention for someone with say rheumatoid arthritis and they get better, you really can't immediately conclude that the treatment did anything because the likelihood that they're going to get better is so high already because that's just the nature of the disease. And that's why, that's why the longer it goes on, the more confidence I feel that, that this is a real thing as opposed to if it had just been, say, for a year or a couple of years. And I might say, oh, well, maybe it's backed off to a more typical bipolar pattern where the, the mood sequences have stretched out in time. But at this point, I feel... <laughs> I feel very confident having kept the same intervention all this time over a disease state that is considered incurable uh, for it never to have recurred. I think I, I cannot dismiss it and I can't really think of anything else I could attribute it to. Well, that, um, that is really amazing. And I mean, I know a lot of the guests that, I've had on the podcast where, um, again, like you, they've overcome some really, um, really challenging health problems. Um, a lot of them have followed a similar approach to you, um, a carnivore diet. And, you know, a lot of them have even credited you um, and, you know, talked about your writing, but um, everyone from, um, you know, Joshua Gaines, um, he had Crohn's disease, um, Cynthia Wellington, migraines, uh, Doug Wright, depression, allergies, diabetes, um, you know, David Smith had bipolar, um, and you know, these people all tried, um, oh, and Kyle Williams actually, um, you know, ulcerative colitis, he, um, wow. I know he's read your um, work because he found out about uh, about this podcast. He reached out to me and said, "Oh, I, um, you know, I saw Amro Hearn. Um, I think you like tweeted about the the Siobhan Huggins episode, and you know, so all of these people have, and uh, oh, and also Andrew Berger with type one diabetes. So there are so many people who have, um, you know, and these are just the people I've." Uh, spoken to on the podcast, let alone the hundreds more who are interacting online, who have had remarkable success with uh, this carnivorous diet approach. Um, it does, yeah, it, it also, it makes it hard to deny that there's something, um, something potentially beneficial going on there. But, it seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's and, sure. um, you know, I uh, I was even looking over. I really appreciated um, 
I was looking at your website before this interview and um, it hadn't even, it hadn't hit my radar that you have an intro to the carnivore diet, kind of a, um, you know, basics of the carnivore diet at your website, mostly-fat.com. Um, and wow, it was just, um, it was a really terrific um, article for anyone who is curious to learn learn more about this. And I just really appreciate the um, the straightforward and helpful nature of that article. I'm going to use it whenever whenever anyone asks me about the carnivore diet moving forward. That's going to be the link. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, that <laughs> you know, the first version of that was written in 2013 by my brilliant ex-husband Zuko. At the time, I was really not very ready to to give that kind of instruction because because I felt so hesitant to say things beyond the certainty of science. And I really learned a lot from from the experience of having very much through his encouragement, um, going ahead and just telling people what happened to me, even though I can't be sure of all the causality and I can't tell them that it's going to help them because there's no studies. Despite all of that, (laughs) (laughs) having done that, having just told people what happened so that they can um, make their own, their own mind up about whether they want to take such a risk and and try something without making any promises um, has been, I think it was one of the best things that I ever did because I ended up helping way more people than I would have helped if I had just kept my mouth shut and waited for the science to come in because it still hasn't, you know, we're still, we've still got lots to do. And, and I think that it was the right move and, and, what you're doing right now is the right thing to do because we can't, the way that science progresses, I eventually came to appreciate is that we discover something that we think is happening and then we test it. And people, you know, we don't just right. come up with these ideas out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> Everything starts with experiences that we want to find out what the limits of them are. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of, um, a lot of research into it seems like every every side of um, of this diet, everything from the the evolutionary um, you know aspect of it, and um, looking at even things like uh, you know ketosis in in babies, and I guess ketosis as um, you know as a more natural state than maybe what um, what is commonly uh, thought in the in conventional um, study today, um, you know, I so I really appreciate the just the holistic approach you take to looking at this, both you know, personal and then almost like anthropological, um, scientific. You're hitting on all um, all of these aspects, um, it, but I also want to um, you know want to come back to your personal story here and ask the question that um, that I ask everybody on the podcast, now that you have improved your health, what's one thing 
you enjoy doing that you couldn't do before? It's trust my brain. <laughs> and it's taken a long time to get that trust back. Uh, but now, now I, I feel like I have a much better sensitivity to all of, all of the different mood states that I might have and have developed <laughs> the ability to consistently feel like, yeah, if, if I think that something's worth doing or is going to make me happy, it's probably a good prediction, whereas I had lost that ability before. Wow. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's a terrific thing to um, be able to regain that trust. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate um, you coming on here. I'm curious, um, for anyone who wants to learn more from, from you, uh, where can people reach you? Well, uh, most of my writings are on the site you already mentioned, mostly-fat.com. But if you want to interact with me, ask a question, I am on Twitter way more than I ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's my vice. So uh, I don't see everything. Um, every once in a while, there are glitches or I don't catch up for a couple of days and things get lost in the void. Uh, but almost always, if you ask me a question, I will try to respond in some fashion on Twitter. And my, my handle there is Keto Carnivore. Well, um, I can vouch for uh, the idea that it's a really good idea to uh, follow you on Twitter. And in fact, your your pinned tweet is it's one of my favorite tweets, and I think about it a lot. Um, just about. Uh, you know, trying to avoid um, conflating things that might seem, they might feel like contradictions before you sort of step back and think about them logically. But um, just like, and I'll, I'll read the first example, um, you know, you can simultaneously believe that carbohydrates don't cause metabolic syndrome, but also believe that carb restriction is generally the best treatment for metabolic syndrome. Um, I think a lot of people can get some of those, um, some of the things in that table. You know, I'm sure you made that table for a reason because you see people conflating those a lot. And um, I just think there's a lot of wisdom behind, uh, behind that pinned tweet. And uh, so I'd encourage all the listeners to uh, go out there and check out twitter.com slash keto carnivore for sure and hit the follow button. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, you know, is there anything else? Do you is there any other um, message or anything else that you want to say before uh, before we close here? Well, great question. <laughs> I think if there were one thing that I wanted to say is if if you think that that a carnivore diet might benefit you because you have an autoimmune disease or a psychiatric disorder or a weight problem that you haven't been able to resolve, um, the thing that you can know that might put to rest some of your fears is that you can, you can try it for low risk. It's not going to 
cause uh, vitamin deficiencies, certainly not in the course of a month. And um, so the risk is very low and the potential benefit is very high. So um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, <laughs> Joe, you have the link for, for the how-to that I wrote and maybe um, people could look at it if it's something they're interested in trying even just for a short period. That's that's terrific. I'll make sure I get um, get that link in the show notes. And um, you know, if if you are looking for those show notes, they'll be at youcuredwhat.com slash podcast slash amber. Um, but I'll make sure um, I can't recommend that uh, how to for the carnivore diet enough. Um, it's just a very um, straightforward, well written, um, and well evidenced. Um, you know, piece of writing. So I, I highly encourage um, everyone to check it out. And Amber, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to um, share your experience here today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for listening to You Cured What? Join us again soon for another story of healing.